And that's part of why we're doing this series called The Thread, is to be able to show how God's word all works together and how God is consistent, and yet we don't always get the answers that we want. Our big idea in this, in this sermon today, I'm asking you this question, is do you trust God in the midst of suffering? One of the things that I've come to believe over the years is that um, we don't have what we call a theology of suffering. And you might be going, oh, pastor, you know, we're just starting the school year, and what is this all about, right? And you're, but we're right in the middle of this, uh, of this series, and it happened to land right here, and, and we felt like it is something that is applicable to the real world that we live in, because we all have experienced different types of struggle and suffering, and we will experience some things in the future. And the question is, do, do I have a theology of suffering, an understanding that's biblical? Most of us uh, think of suffering in two categories, don't we? It's either suffering and pain is bad, and no suffering and pain is good, right? That's usually the way we think about pain and suffering. Suffering and pain, it's just got to be bad. There's no way God would, would ever want that or allow that in my life. And that no suffering and pain is good. That must mean things are going good and God is pleased. And yet we know the reality, right? We live in a world in which good people and evil people have really hard things happen to them. Sometimes really nice, good, decent people experience profound, deep, and painful suffering. Things that we should happen, we think should only happen to people who maybe don't love or trust God. And sometimes we think that if, if we're followers of Jesus especially, then certainly I should have some sort of protection from pain and suffering. And that we know that people experience pain and suffering. We know that people who love Jesus and follow Jesus experience a kind of suffering in which they do lose family members, sometimes whole families. Sometimes they lose all of their possessions. Sometimes difficult health situations come, difficult kind of relationship situations, depression, anxiety, stress, all kinds of things happen to us in the real world. And we want to be a church that can say that God's word speaks to that and God speaks to that. And, and we don't have to take those things and say, we can't talk about those things. We want to be a place that says, hey, we're going to live in the real world with real things that go on and be able to wrestle with the questions and wrestle with things from God's perspective and from what the word of God says and to come alongside each other and help each other. And so... What happens in this, this time is we're, we're looking for answers, and we look for answers in the book of Job, and we say, hey, I want to know why suffering occurs, and guess what? The book of Job isn't going to tell us. We want to know why do the righteous suffer? Why did this happen? Why did Job go through this? And, and we want to know why he lost his family, and why he lost his wealth, and why he lost his health. And, and like Job's friends, we we want to have some sort of really clear-cut answers that we can figure out a category and go, oh, this is because you did this, this, and this. That's what they did. His friends came alongside and said, Job, this happened because you did these things. I love how this guy, the, the author of, of the presentation said, they made up stuff. Oh, it must have been this. Job said, I never did that. <laughs> you must have done this. I, I never did that. They're trying to make sense of it in a way that, that they can process it in their thinking. And so they, his friends, insist that his suffering is punishment for sin in his life. Here's our struggle this morning. We're not going to get answers to the question of why do the righteous suffer. The book of Job is not going to answer that. 
So the question becomes, what answers will we get from the book of Job? Are there answers for anything in the book of Job? And I'm going to say yes this morning, and I'm going to show you on a quick survey of some passages from Job and show you what answers we can get. They're not the answers to why people suffer and why the righteous suffer, which is kind of what we want sometimes, but we do get some answers about how life works and how we're supposed to see things as we process life and walk through life. So that's where we're going to go. I'm going to take about five or six different passages from Job, so show you some other passages from the Scripture, and then try to pull it all together at the end and help us to see, like, what can we learn? What answers do we get? What is God trying to tell us from this book? He put this book in the Bible. He inspired it. Why is it there? What are we supposed to take from it? So let's start right away in verse 1. Job chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. And as you can tell this morning, this message is going to be a little shorter, so we're going to go a little quick, so you're going to have to stay with me. And a couple of times I'm going to say, hey, come back to me, because maybe you've lost me. But this morning I want you to think about this first part. This is one of the things that we're learning from this book, is the man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He was blameless. There was nothing that he had done um, that was offensive to God. He had been blameless, and yet he still suffers. Being blameless, upright, and fearing God and shunning evil is not a magic potion that if we do these things, it creates like a force field of protection around us. I kind of grew up thinking that. Growing up in the church, I thought, if I do all the right things, and I follow Jesus, and, and I do the things that I'm supposed to do, there's going to be some sort of force field of protection around me, and no bad things will happen. And yet, bad things and hard things did happen. And, and part of the reason, part of what we can learn from this, if your motivation for following God is that you're going to be protected from pain and suffering, the book is Job is going to be a major disappointment to you. If your motivation is that I'm going to follow God so that I'll have the hedge of protection, the book of Job flips that all upside down. One of the answers, even though we're not going to get the answers to why the righteous suffer, one of the answers that we can get from the book of Job is this, though, that the righteous those who fear God do experience suffering and pain. Now, why that helps us is when I experience suffering and pain, I don't always have to be going, oh, there must have been something that I did that was, I really screwed up here, that this is why this is happening. Now, sometimes there's a correlation, right? If I do a certain kind of thing, there could be a certain kind of uh, uh, consequence for that. But sometimes you're following Jesus, you're trying to do the right things, and hard things still happen. People still die. People we love still get sick. Sometimes we're sinned against by others. Nothing we've done. And so one of the answers we get from the book of Job is maybe not a satisfying answer, but I think it's a very crucial answer to live consistently in the real world is that the righteous, even those who follow God and fear him and love Jesus, can and will experience suffering and pain. But now the second thing, the second answer we get from this book comes Job 121, where it gives us a picture of how we can actually respond when we're experiencing that. Listen to what this verse says. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. The Lord is to be praised even in the midst of suffering. This is one of the great pictures we get from Job. Even in the midst of his suffering, he's able to praise the Lord. 
So an answer that we get from the book of Job may not be the question we're asking, but an answer that we get from the book of Job is that we are able to praise the Lord when he gives and when he takes away. That's one of the beautiful lessons here, is when he gives, I can praise him for that. When he takes away, Job was able to praise him for that too. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May the name of the Lord be praised. One of the answers to a question we might not even be asking is this. Job, what we can learn from Job is that we are actually able to praise the Lord when we go through pain and suffering. Through the power of his help and a right perspective of who he is, when I go through the suffering and struggle, I can actually come to a place, might not be right at the start, but I can come to the place where I praise the Lord. I don't know if you've known somebody like that. I've known some people over the years who've gone through tremendous, tremendous loss, tremendous, tremendous suffering, and yet they come to a place eventually where they can say, the Lord is given and the Lord is taken. I'm going to praise the name of the Lord. That's supernatural. That can only happen from the Spirit of God at work in a person's heart. That can't happen for me. I'm just going to, and I'm not talking about just grit your teeth and say, praise the Lord, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a place of healing, a place of meeting the Lord, where you come to a place where you can say, this is still horrible what I'm going through, but I'm going to hold on to the Lord. I'm going to try to praise the Lord in the midst of it. Now, Job is doing that at the beginning. These two things happen at the beginning of the book. As time goes on and his suffering goes on and lingers, Job starts to have questions, and Job wrestles even harder with it. And there are points where Job says things that he's not really understanding. And he's like, I don't understand this. And he's crying out to God. And I love the book of Job because it gives us a picture of one of God's children crying out to him that it's okay to cry out to him when we go through pain and suffering. And if you don't hear anything else today, I hope that you hear that part. When you go through struggle, God can handle it. And you can cry out to him and say, God, I am really struggling here right now. I don't understand. I am hurting. I need you. I need you to give me an answer. I need you to meet me. I need you to do something. And God is going to hear that. Now, how he responds... We see that differently throughout all the scriptures, but here's the beautiful part. He always hears you, and he does care, and he will respond. And Job now, in chapter 14, these are a little bit of the hidden part of the book of Job that I think are really important to unpack a little bit this morning. So we've got these first two answers, or maybe questions we aren't even asking, but they're the answers that we're going to get from the book of Job. The first one is, the righteous, those who fear God, do experience suffering and pain. The second one is, we are able to praise the Lord when he gives and when he takes away. He will help us to be able to still praise him and to know him. But now in chapter 14, Job has finally got to this place. And in verse 4, this is what he says. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. What he was saying after he's hearing all, all of his friends talk to him about sin and his sin, eventually he throws up his, his hands and he says, listen, I'm just a human being, so of course I'm unclean. Who can make a clean thing out of an unclean thing? Meaning, how can God blame me for being unclean? Because I'm just a human being, and I'm fallen, and nobody can take an unclean and make it clean. And here is where we see that Job is talking about something he does not know about. Because what, how the book of Job points us to Jesus, one of the places is right here. Because guess what? There is one who can take the unclean vessel and make them clean. That's the good news. And Job is not understanding that yet, and he's going, well, 
course I'm unclean because I'm a human being. Who can make that unclean clean? Here's the good news. Jesus can do that. And so here's what happens in Hebrews chapter 10. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. There it is. There is one who can sprinkle an unclean heart and an unclean person and sprinkle clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. There is one who came and could make one who is unclean clean. 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you. Paul saying, hey, some of you weren't such great people, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Job didn't know that yet. There was one who could come and he could take an unclean person and wash them and sanctify them and justify them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was the Spirit of God that was going to do that. And 1 John 1, 9, which may be familiar to many of you, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is one who can make clean. So the third answer that we get from the book of Job is that there is one who can make the unclean clean. The question is being asked, who can do that? And there is an answer in God's word. There is an answer that there is one who can take you and I, unclean in our sin, unclean in our doubt, unclean in all of what it means to be a fallen, sinful human being, and he can take that and clean it all up. That is beautiful. That's what the good news to me of, of how Job fits into all this, because Jesus can do all of that. And then Job is really getting desperate at this point. In verse 10 of chapter 14, he says this, but a man dies and is laid low, man breathes his last, and where is he? He's like, you know what? At the end of it all, what happens is you're just going to die, and I don't know what's going to happen. He's laid low, he'll breathe his last, and where is he? He's dead in the ground. Guess what? Answer number four that we're going to get from the book of Job is that there is one who can restore life and give everlasting life. So Job is still doesn't know that part, and he goes, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm getting near to death. In fact, I'm so depressed and discouraged if, if I die right now, I'm probably in a better state. And man, man breathes his last, and then what? He just shrugs his shoulders. But we know an answer to that. Philippians 1, and 23. If I am to live in the flesh, Paul says, that means fruitful labor for you. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell you. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with who? Christ. For that is far better. He's saying... In the New Testament, we have an answer to this question. Where is he? Where is the man that goes to death? He's with Jesus Christ. That's the good news. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18 that we talked about this summer. Let me remind you, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And what will happen? The dead in Christ will rise first. Because death has been defeated and he's won. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. At that time, Job couldn't be encouraged by those words. He was going, man, man is laid low, he breathes his last, and that's the end of it. Guess what? Some of you maybe have felt that and experienced that in your life. 
Maybe you know somebody who experiences that. You will have conversations. If you're a student, if you're in the workplace, you're going to have conversations with people that that's what they believe, that, hey, when it's done, it's done. So I'm just going to do my best to either enjoy this life or I'm just going to do my, I'm just going to try to muddle through and struggle through knowing that there's nothing at the end of it. Or we can have the good news of what the Bible says and help Job understand there is an answer. There is one who can restore life and give everlasting life. To me, that's the greatest news that I love to say as a pastor who preaches good news, that I can offer people a way to find the right relationship with God, which will lead to eternal life. What an awesome, awesome opportunity that is. What a great job I got. Just reminding myself up here as I'm preaching. <laughs> it's an awesome thing to be able to tell people that. So I want to tell you that this morning. And then we get to Job 38. So here's another answer to the questions. We want to know why the righteous suffer. God says, I'm going to tell you some other stories. I'm going to help you to understand some other truths. But maybe not that one. And this is what he says in Job 38, 1 and 2. After this whole encounter where God speaks to him from the, from the cloud and from the storm, the Lord answered Job out of the storm and he said, listen to this now, if you've lost me, come on back. Who is it that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? All right. Why I want you to come back is because this is really, really hard for us, I think. This is really hard sometimes in the culture that we live in. God is saying this. Now listen carefully to this. Job, I created you. I love you. I care for you. And I have and I will bless you. And you are my child. And we like it just to stop right there. We love that part, right? That this is who we are in Christ. And this is how God sees us. And so if we just stop there, we all feel really good. But then he says this essentially to him. But Job, I don't answer to you. I am God, and you are not. That's hard for us sometimes. Because sometimes we kind of get this in our thinking that we won't ever say it, but we get in our thinking that I'm kind of in control of stuff. I'm kind of the one that's going to make choices for my life, and I'm the one that's going to make things happen. And, and then, God, you've got to get on board because I'm going places. I'm doing stuff. You've got to bless it. And God is saying, I am God. I have a plan for your life. Job, I do love you, and I care for you, and I bless you, and you are my child. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Because I'm not going to answer to you. I'm God. And as we saw in the video, the fifth answer that we get from this book is, we're not sufficiently equipped or wise enough to understand the complexity of the universe. I'm not sufficiently equipped and wise enough to make choices for your life, and you better be glad that I'm not, right? Because I don't want you really making those choices for my life because I know you're all great people, but I don't trust you to do that perfectly. I trust that there's a God in heaven who loves me and loves us and has a big picture that I can't understand. Now, sometimes that's hard. I want to understand it all. I want it to be clear. God essentially says to Job, I'm God, you're not. I don't answer to you. I don't have to tell you everything. Sometimes you just have to trust me. Sometimes I get great clarity in answers. Sometimes I just got to trust and hold on, not knowing where it's going or why it's happening. 
And then we get to Job 42, verse 2, where he says, I know that you can do all things, this is what Job says, and that no purposes of yours can be thwarted. Look where Job gets to at the end of the book. He now goes, all right, I humbly realize that, God, you're in sovereign control. Your plans and your purposes are certain, and they cannot be thwarted. The good news today, you guys, is the plans of God for your life can't be thwarted. Now, that should bring us some comfort. Sometimes it can bug us because we want our own plans. But I'm more comforted as I get older, knowing that my life and the life of my kids, I got four kids, two married, one in college, one that's here today, 13. So I got four kids. I'm telling you what, man, I am so comforted to know that God's plan for their life is what's going to happen. Because... I got great kids, but man, if I trusted their whole lives into their plans, I don't know what was going to happen, okay? (laughs) I could tell you, well, I could tell you some things that probably would have happened. They're in God's hands. Your life is in God's hands. Here's a brief definition that comes from Paul Tripp, a devotional I just read this week about God's sovereignty. God is in absolute control of this world and everything that happens without any gaps, limits, interference, or thwarting of his rule. I hope that's good news to you this morning. The answer to one of the questions that we're going to get from Job that even we didn't even know we had going into it is that God is sovereign. And so from the book of Job, we're going to know that God is sovereign. He is in control. He sits on the throne. My life is all in his hands, and there are no gaps, limits, interference, or thwarting of his rule. I'm just called to submit to it and to be a part of what he's doing in my life. And then my favorite part, this is what I think is the punchline of the whole book of Job, comes from Job chapter 42, verses 5 and 6. This is what he says. Listen carefully to what he says. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Do you see the difference of what has happened? I had known of you, but now I have seen you and encountered you personally. And he says, because my ears had heard of you and now I see you, I repent. I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Job humbles himself and repents. His ears had heard of him, but now he had this personal encounter with God where God comes out of the cloud and he sees him and he shows him things. You see, one of the great parts of the, of the book of Job is simply this. God wants us to humble ourselves so that we not only know of him, but we actually know him. That's part of the book of Job. God wants to humble us so that we not only know about him, and I grew up in the church, I've known about Jesus literally ever since I can remember, right? Because I was born into a Christian home that was very steady in church, and so I've known as long as I can remember. There were times in my life I would say I knew of him, and then there were times in my life where I would say I knew him. I saw him. I was connected to him. I understood him. And Job is one of those books where at the end Job says, hey, I didn't get my answer, but I humble myself, I repent, because now I know you. I know I can trust you. I know who you are. I hadn't just heard about you. Now I know you. Listen, there's real pain and suffering in the world. There is real pain and suffering in this room. We want to be a place and we want to be a church that is real and honest about that. We want to be a church that says we don't always get all the answers we want. We don't always know why things happen and why the righteous suffer and experience deep and profound pain. But we want to be a church that acknowledges and gives space 
for people to cry out to God. We want to be a place that we can ask deep and hard questions about God and of God. We want to ask real and honest questions about God as we suffer. I don't ever want to see somebody that I'm shepherding ever have to go through suffering and never have somebody come alongside them and be with them in their suffering. I, I, I want us to be a place that every person who suffers, no matter what that might look like, will have a space and, be a, and we'd be a place that, that, that they can experience the emotions of suffering in a healthy way, in a helpful way, in a community where we come alongside each other and say, hey, I get those questions. Let's ask them together. Let's do this together. Suffering alone is a horrible, horrible thing. Suffering and struggle in a body of believers can be a beautiful place where we can find support and encouragement. That's part of what I want to see this church be about. To experience the emotions of suffering in healthy and helpful ways in community with one another. We, don't want to, we do want to be a church. We want to be a family, a community that offers hope and truth and compassion when we suffer. When we go through hard things. If you're a college student, when you go through that really, really hard class, that really difficult roommate situation, that breakup with somebody you've been dating for a while, that loss of a parent while you're a student, hard things that happen. I've had students that while they're here, parents get divorced. Maybe your parents have been divorced and you, there's stuff that you're wrestling with. Maybe there's been abuse that's happened in your life. I mean, we, we live in the real world. This is a church that wants to believe that we're living in the real space where real things happen, and we got real answers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be a church, a family, and a community that when we experience suffering together, we bring hope, we bring the truth, and we bring compassion. So I got some really practical things, and I'm going to wrap up here, and then we're going to close with a time of worship. Some really practical things that I just want to encourage you to consider. So here's the application Super practical. First, next week on Wednesday night at the Lincoln Park campus, we're going to do a, a video uh, on a poem that's a, like a 30-minute uh, poem written by John Piper, and John Piper is, is reciting it, about suffering in the book of Job. And we just want to invite you to, to be there and be a part of it. And so that'll be um, at 6.30 at the Lincoln Park campus, and there'll be a time of prayer and some things available afterwards. Just a practical way for us to do more with the book of Job. And so I'm going to encourage you to be there. I want to invite you to, if you are struggling and suffering, and it doesn't matter what it is that you're going through, if it's hard for you and painful to you, then it's important and it's real. And I want you to know your pastoral staff, we want to meet with you. We want to spend time with you and talk about those things. That's part of, for me personally, that's part of how God has gifted me and wired me is to be able to sit down and have those conversations. A lot of our pastoral staff, uh, God has gifted them to do that. And so any of the staff, myself or even somebody from Lincoln Park, we want to be available to you. A third place that is really crucial for us as a church are city groups. And this is what we call City Group Sunday. And so what that is is to, to let you know that the place that we do our discipleship and where the relational stuff happens, we don't have like Sunday school on Sunday mornings. We don't have a lot of other things going on. We have city groups. And those are groups where we meet weekly or every other week. And it's a place for, to come together and look at God's word and support one another and build relationships with one another and pray for one another. And I want to invite you to, to be a part of a city group and to consider that. And over by the coffee table are a bunch of the city groups that um, a lot of our people from Chester Park are a part of. 
And so I invite you to go back over there and take a look and see if there might be a fit for you, a place that you could engage and be a part of. Some of our city group leaders are here. And so if you're here, you could even find yourself over by the coffee table after the service. I didn't ask you about that ahead of time. So you can be over there and, and maybe answer some questions. But a city group is a place to be so that we have that kind of support and encouragement when we're struggling. And just your regular relationships, building friendships to the place of depth that you can actually talk about the real things that are going on in your life when you're struggling and hurting. A fifth one is counseling and support groups. We, we want to be a place that we can help you find a, a counselor or a support group for whatever it is that you're struggling with. And the last thing, if you're a student, um, this is just one of the things I've started to do this year, and I, I, I'm adding it in my sermon because I just want you to know that if you're feeling like, man, it's kind of hard to reach out to the pastor, and I get that, especially if you're new, I'm going to be coming to your space. And so if you're a UMD student on Tuesdays from 2 to 4, I'm going to be hanging out in the plaza, uh, the food court there, and just stop by. Just stop by. You don't even have to, doesn't have to be something serious going on in your life. Maybe you just want to come by and talk about football. I love talking about football, so we can do that, all right? We can do that. Video games, I don't know much about, but my 13-year-old, I'll text him and I'll find out all about him and, and then get back to you. But a place for you to easily find us. And if you're a St. Scholastica student, I'm at the Storm's Den on Thursdays from 2 to 4. Same thing. Now, if those don't work and you want to reach out and get connected, man, just email me and I'd love to buy you lunch, buy you dinner, buy you a cup of coffee and sit down and talk about life and what's really happening in the real world. Listen, while we don't get answers to why the righteous suffer, we do get a picture regarding how the righteous should respond to suffering. We get the chance to praise God for the good gifts he has blessed us with. We can cry out to God with honest emotions and cries for understanding and help. We can grow in our humility and trust in the goodness and wisdom and the sovereignty of God who rules all things. We can move from only hearing or knowing about God to actually seeing him and knowing him in a real way. Because now we know the one who is able to make the clean out of the unclean and bring the dead to life. Who is it? Jesus. We know Jesus. The book of Job tells us that we need Jesus because there's a lot of suffering, a lot of struggle, a lot of things that we don't understand. So I'm just going to go to Jesus. Say, Jesus, help me. Because I don't get it, but I know where to go. I can't give you all the answers to the things you're going through, but I can tell you where you can find strength, where you can find peace, where you can find hope, where you can find healing. His name is Jesus.